Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you many of us who walk through life surviving rather than thriving. How did we get to this place? Join us now as we begin our journey through Acts chapter 25 and 26 with Cheryl Broderson. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message, A Greater Expectation. Wouldn't you agree that we get caught up in the trivialities of life? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? A latte or a cappuccino? <laughs> what should we wear? You know, we aim way too low. Sometimes a day is about surviving rather than thriving, isn't it? If I can just get through today instead of if I can only dance today, if I can only praise, if I can only embrace this day as a glorious day for the Lord. We ask for only small things because our expectation gets so small. We ask for $5 instead of the riches of heaven. We expect God to work within the confines of our resources or what we can see as possibilities. We expect too little. We only ask God for the things that seem achievable in our mind. You know, save Uncle Bob, he's close. But you know, the other uncle, he's so far away, it's all right. I've given up on him too, Lord. We're only asking God for what we see as achievable. We look only at the things of life. We're looking at the material and the physical, and we're forgetting about the realms of glory. We're seeing the army that's invaded our town, and we don't see the chariots of fire that are on the mountaintops. We get bogged down, literally bogged down by the little things it's, it's these little things that make us think maybe we've lost the glory. Maybe God doesn't love us because my washing machine is not working. So maybe God's through with me. I broke a fingernail. That means the devil won today. You know, I have to make an extra trip to the market. What sin is in my life that I haven't confessed? Don't we? Don't we let these little, tiny, itty-bitty things Block our perspective of God and the glory. You know, we, we judge circumstances. We judge God by ourselves, whether we're deserving or undeserving. And we forget that we serve the God that raises the dead. We get angry and we get frustrated we let people have too much of a say in our lives. We let people define who we are or how we're supposed to feel. That's too little. 
God, the resurrection is our definition of life. We are the resurrected. We are now eternal beings. We get upset because of someone's reaction to us. We don't even know that person. We don't know that driver. We get hurt because of an unkind word that was said to us. We obsess about things that happened or were emailed or on Facebook or tweeted yesterday. I remember being in England, being on a train. I got in a fight with my oldest daughter, which was a common thing in those days. It's very uncommon now, now that she's married and has children. But we used to, you know, we used to get in these, just these storms. And I would go around feeling totally uncondemned, like I needed to quit the ministry because I had gotten a fight with my daughter. Ever do that? You're going to let the little things, I mean, teenagers fight. This is part of their nature. But I took it so personally because she's my first. And I took it so personally. Every time we had a fight, I was ready to quit the ministry. I, I disqualified myself. Fought with teenager, number one reason for quitting ministry. And I remember I was telling this woman, because I was about to speak at this women's brunch, all the reasons why I probably shouldn't speak at the women's brunch. Of course, I only had one reason. I fought with my teenager, who insisted on coming to the brunch to hear me speak. It's like, what? I was telling her, you don't want to come. It's me. I'm the speaker. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You fought with me yesterday. Remember, you disqualified me from motherhood, from being a wife, you know, from being in the ministry. And I remember I was telling this woman, who was a friend of mine, she looked at me and she says, well, that was yesterday. It's like, yeah, but it's still with me today. And she's like, no, it was yesterday. Like, put it down, bury it. And I was like, you can do that? You can reconcile it to yesterday? Yeah, because yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away. <laughs> now they look as though they're here to stay. <laughs> See, I, I do quotes. This is what happens to us. We get bogged down by the trivialities. In John chapter 5, we see a man at the pool of Bethsaida who was bogged down by trivialities. He is in the midst of a whole company of sick people. But his expectation and his aims are so low. And Jesus comes to this man and he asks him one question. Do you want to be made whole? Now, this man doesn't say yes. That's, that's the right answer, isn't it? Do you want to you be made whole? Yes. But this is not where this man goes. Because why? His expectations are way too low. He's aiming so low. So he starts explaining to Jesus. Now, imagine he who is the resurrection and the life is this man saying, do you want to be made whole? And this man is saying, yes, in a way. I want to be put in that pool. I want someone to help me. I, I just want assistance to get in that pool before anybody else does. Instead of aiming high and just saying yes, he's asking instead of healing for help. He's asking to beat out the competition. He's asking for a mythology or a myth about some angel to be the reality. He is aiming way too low. Because the issue is healing. The issue is, do you want to be whole? And Jesus is standing before him saying, rise, take up your bed and walk. It's that simple. 
It's that powerful. It's that direct. But many of us are like that man. Our aim is too low. Our expectation is too slight. And we don't realize and we forget and we lose sight of the greatness of our God who raises the dead. Our problem is our low estimation of God. We exalt our our trials. We exalt our tribulations. We exalt all the things, the material things around us. And we degrade our God. We forget about the greatness of the one who stretched out the sky, who created oxygen, who created atmosphere, who created the mesosphere and the stratosphere and the troposphere, who created trees, phylum in the trees, who created systems, who created our bodies and our anatomy and eyes and sinews and flesh. We forget about the greatness of our God. We forget what our God has done. We lose sight of who our God is. And we forget the awesome power of the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The Sadducees were men who didn't know the glory and power of their God. They come to Jesus, and we're told of this in Mark chapter 12, with a hypothetical situation. It's interesting. I've been watching um, on YouTube, I've been watching a lot of um, debates between Richard Dawkins and um, John Lennox, uh, between um, Tim Keller and other men. He goes, uh, Tim Keller goes to these universities. They're called Veritas Conferences, not to be confused with the Veritas that comes out of Marietta. But these conferences, he goes and he debates atheists and he answers the questions of college students concerning God. And I was watching one of these debates and this man was saying, what about the millions and millions of you know Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists who are full of integrity but perishing in their beliefs and their sincerity? What would you say about that? And I was, I was listening to this and I was thinking, oh my goodness. I mean, there's so many assumptions in this question. We're assuming that none of these people have had any contact with God. We're assuming that there have been no dreams, no encounters, no personal revelation. We're assuming that they all have integrity, which I don't think anyone without God has any integrity. We're assuming that there's millions upon millions and they have no hunger, no thirst, that they're absolutely content with the way they are. There's so many uh, assumptions. Talk about a loaded question. Talk about a hypothetical situation. And that's what these Sadducees, and we're told that they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead and they come to Jesus and they say, okay, there's this woman and she marries seven times She never has any children by these brothers. And then she dies. And of course, all these men are dead by now because of what she was feeding them. (laughs) See, now, if you lose seven husbands that are all brothers, either there's a genetic defect in the family or else this woman is a murderer, so you don't have to worry about her being in heaven anyway. I mean, wouldn't you be suspicious? (laughs) Especially brother number six. I wouldn't eat anything 
that she was giving me. It's like, no, no, you eat it first. Let me watch you. How do you react to rat poisoning? You know, it's, there's something suspicious here, but here's this hypothetical situation. They've made it up, and now they're presenting it to Jesus, and, and they think they've got Jesus with this situation. They said, all right, if there is a resurrection of the dead, see, you can't have a resurrection of the dead because look at this situation. God wouldn't know what to do with this woman or who she belonged to. I mean, isn't this a big problem for God? Who do I give this woman to in heaven? Isn't it funny how, how we make these, these just strange man-made hypotheses, these problems for God? And Jesus looked at them and he said, you know what, you've made two mistakes. Here are your two mistakes. One, you don't know the scriptures. And two, you don't know the power of God. When we don't know the scriptures, the promises of God, and we don't reckon with those promises, the power of God, we're going to be mistaken. We are going to go through life with low aims and low expectations. That's what's going to happen to us unless we realize that we serve the God who, according to scriptures, according to the promise of scripture, raises the dead. That's the power of our God. Paul understood this power. And this power of his God and and the scriptures combined in Paul in such a way that he was unintimidated. He aimed high. He, his, his, his prayers were limitless. He prayed great prayers and he called down great things from God. And he saw God do great things because he knew the scriptures and he knew the power of God. When he stood before Herod, Herod Agrippa, now, Herod Agrippa was in charge of the treasury. He was Herod Agrippa II. He was the great-grandson of the Herod the Great. But when he stood in front of this assembly, um, Paul was, he said, I, I do most happily make my appeal to you, Herod. Why? Because Herod knew about Jewish customs. He had been put over by Rome, over the Jewish treasury. He was in charge of all the money that went to the temple. He knew about the temple rituals, regulations, and practices. He knew about Jewish law. He knew about Jewish history. He was acquainted with the testimony of Jesus. It was before Herod Agrippa, the the first that had put to death James. It was another Herod relative that Jesus had appeared before who had taken off the head of John the Baptist. It was his great-grandfather that had killed all the children in Bethlehem hoping, hoping to keep Jesus, the Messiah, from becoming the king of the Jews. So you see the Herod, the Herodian family, had had an issue with Jesus from Jesus' birth. These things were not hidden from this Herod. He knew. And the greatest threat to the Herodian dynasty was Jesus and the testimony of Jesus. 
Now, this is a great assembly that Paul is brought in before. And we find out about this great assembly in Acts chapter 26. We're told that Bernice, Herod's sister, with whom he had an incestuous relationship, Festus, this Roman governor, and prominent figures from Caesarea were all present in this huge auditorium. And Herod and Bernice had entered in with pomp, great pomp, as the notables of the day. Here comes a king into the midst of the auditorium. And they are honored and the the whole assembly rises until they take their seats. And, And there's performance and there's ritual. And they're seated and the whole court is seated. And then they march this prisoner in, Paul the prisoner, the one in chains. And yet, who? Who is seated? Who is there to give an audience to Paul? You see, the audience is not gathered for Herod or Bernice. The audience is not gathered for Festus. But this whole assembly of notables has all gathered to hear Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul sees the opportunity at this moment, in this time, to look at Herod in this great assembly and challenge him with the greatest question, the greatest challenge ever thrown before a king. He asks him in Acts 26 verse 8, why should it be thought incredible to you that God should raise the dead? Here is this Herod, the king, And Paul is saying, your aim is too low. Your expectations are too slight. Because if you don't believe in a resurrection from the dead, here's life as good as it's going to get. This is it. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. If this is as good as it gets, and we have to deal with aging, and we have to deal with lines, not on our face, but, you know, lines at markets too. All lines. We have to deal with lines all over the world and wherever they come. We have to deal with traffic. We have to deal with deficiencies. If this is as good, and you know, we have, in the United States, we have life better than just about every country in the world. We have the best of life. I mean, most countries, people don't own cars. And granted, most of you probably have two cars in your garage or driveway. And most people in the world don't even have a car. They don't know what it is to own their car. Let alone, we have houses. We have running water. We have bottled water. We have bathtubs. We have luxury. And yet, I think you would say to me, if this is the best that we can expect out of life, and even when you do get a glorious moment, it passes. It passes. Just a few days ago, Brandon and I went up to Santa Barbara for a getaway. And I was looking at the ocean, and I was like, I want to take you in. You know what I mean? You're looking at this beautiful scene going, 
I'm going to have to leave this scene. Tomorrow, I won't be looking at an ocean. And you're just like, how do I enjoy it any more than I am enjoying it right now? How do I take this with me? It's over. It's over. And those that have died, if this is all that it is, no hope that we will ever see those who have died, that they are gone out of our life forever. And this is it. We are of all men most miserable. And our expectations are so low. And our pursuits are so few and so small. But if we are dealing with a God that raises the dead, then everything becomes infused with glory and possibility. And our expectations begin to explode. There are no impossibilities with our God. Everything that is seen and unseen was made by the word of his mouth. We got word for about a friend of ours that we dearly love who has just been a powerhouse in England that the cancer has spread out of his bladder into his entire body. And Brian looked at me and he said, you know what? Even at this point, we still have hope. Not because of chemotherapy, not because of radiation, not because our expectation is on doctors, but because our expectation is upon God who raises the dead. So we continue to have hope, hope for this life and hope for the life to come because we serve the one who gives life to the dead. He not only created life, but God breathed into his creation. He gives his creation animation. Think about it. When Jesus was going into Jerusalem and these Sadducees, these Pharisees were saying, hey, stop the people from crying out these praises. And Jesus said to these men, if they would stop praising me, the very rocks would become animated. God would give animation to these rocks and they would begin to cry out because he is the God who raises the dead, because he is the God who gives life and breath to every living thing. This is the type of thing we should expect from our God. Are your expectations too low today? Have you been aiming so small? Have your pursuits been so slight because you forgot? You forgot or you've been just blindsided by the things that are in this world that want to block your view, that want to keep you from seeing or knowing or experiencing the God who raises the dead. The only accusation that the governor, Festus, could ascertain against Paul was that he alleged that he affirmed that Jesus had died and was alive. This is, the, this is the accusation. This is why Paul was in prison. This is what he was mobbed for. This is what he was on trial for. This one hope, this one, this one thing that Paul would not budge on 
Paul said, leave me in prison. Put me before whatever counsel you want, but I'm going to affirm to you that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead and the grave could not hold him. And I will stand on that premise and I will go through life and my expectations will be great because I know that God raised Jesus from the dead. It was this proclamation. It was this understanding. It was this word, this glorious revelation that caused Paul to aim higher, expect greater things, pursue eternal realities, and kept him from obsessing about the injustice of his trial, the notables of life, or his imprisonment. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. We succumb to this mode of survival only when we lower our expectation of God. Christian, we are dealing with a God who raises from the dead, a God who gives life and breath to every living thing. Let's raise our expectation of what God can do remembering this. With God, there are no impossibilities. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is A Greater Expectation. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapters 25 and 26 with part two of her message, A Greater Perspective. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.